Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Good afternoon and welcome to Visegrad Insight podcast. My name is Adam Yasse and today our special guest uh, with whom you're very familiar is Wojciech Przybylski, our editor-in-chief. Hello, hello, Wojciech. hello. Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm reason, really pleased to be on this podcast. And the reason we, we have this special guest is that this was a very important week for the EU. The European Commission came out with a report on enlargement, uh, which recommended opening accession negotiations with Ukraine and Moldova. This is a historical decision and the EU Council in December is likely to endorse this. Obviously, this comes against the background of huge geopolitical challenges. Europe is trying to uh, formulate its strategy. There is a big discussion on internal reform and it all links together. And uh, in this context, I wanted to ask you, Wojciech, to give us the big picture and to talk a little bit about these scenarios for Europe in the context of enlargement, but not only. Thanks, Adam. And again, welcome again. It's really good to be on our podcast. Now, what I have to tell is, uh, first of all, it's a request to focus your attention for a moment um, on the subject of how democracies will survive in European Union in the coming five years. Um, as it happens, along this very pressing political developments, and I think fundamental um, in terms of importance, like inviting Ukraine to the negotiating table for the future accession, we have an ongoing discussion on, on the future of Europe. And it's not uh, just a blue sky, big discussion on, on grand strategies. There are very practical matters that are uh, highlighted by our partners. Uh, Germany and France started the conversation from their old narrative about reforming institutions, treaties, and uh, many other things. We've heard that a couple of times over the many years already from those two countries. But I think there is even more pressing issue that emerged through our foresight workshops and uh, the whole work on surveying and understanding the trends relating to democratic security in Central Europe. Because um, the developments in democratic security actually shape the foundations of the future European uh, project. We know, and through a series of workshops and discussions with people we also disagree, um, coming from different sides of political spectrum in Central Europe, that there is a growing concern over the nature of transatlantic relations. This is particularly important in, in, in Poland, but this is also an important element of European discussion overall, in which security dimension is one, but there is also economic dimension, energy dependence, and overall political power game in which US has a dominant role. And we can see also by economic performance, it is outperforming uh, Europe and, and growing much quicker than uh, Europe has ever been. So Europe is now considering what to make its competitive edge for the future. We are ending next year the commission, which was branded Geopolitical Commission, and whether Ursula von der Leyen will remain or not remain the president of the next commission, there will be the subject of Europe presence in the world. And uh, what we know also from the leaders of the EU, 
a declaration from Granada from October this year, there is already an agenda, a draft of an agenda, so-called Granada Declaration, in which EU leaders are speaking about the priorities and economy, economic security is the prevailing, the dominant uh, narrative. And against this, uh, there will be tensions in the transatlantic space. Now, the second dimension that is important in Central European consideration about the future is whether EU will stand behind Ukraine to its victory or there will be a push from Europeans or European Union overall towards some sort of a ceasefire, a negotiated agreement, uh, appeasement, uh, depending on the perspective, how you call it, but simply the push to stop the war at a cost to Ukraine, a cost of territorial loss and also the moral loss that could uh, come, and that is considered as a realistic possibility. If you have these two axes, there are quite differentiated scenarios that emerge, essentially four, and we explain that in the report. But uh, I will not go into the uh, scenarios because you can probably tell them yourself what, what this, and you can check also on our website, what the the scenarios are, the the important part that we focus on is how these scenarios, geopolitical futures for Europe, will shape the democratic health or democratic security, if you you want. So we are talking about the the ability to preserve freedoms, individual rights, vis-a-vis this collective decision-making, how to make us as European Union and countries in Europe a a foreign policy actor. Right. So you 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 mentioned uh, the report. Can can you can you tell us briefly what's in it? What what are these basic scenarios that uh, that follow from from our foresight sessions? Okay. As I said, there are four. The basic scenario, which is the desired scenario, most probably, is that the nature of relationship between U.S. and Europe remains more or less the same. We are on the same page when it comes to values. We negotiate the terms on economy, on the trade, but there is a a wholehearted support of Americans for European progress in terms of its performance in uh, security. And there is an increased cooperation economically and there are different initiatives that secure the space of democracies worldwide. So that's a scenario in which Europe also supports Ukraine and U.S. is, is quite, um, quite a, a constructive player. Now, the second scenario that we spell out is that the complete opposite. We can imagine that uh, a new isolationist period over the next five years may uh, have a lot of conflict between Washington and Brussels and many European capitals in which Neither the transatlantic link will prevail for the, for the secure and free Ukraine, nor the European unity, European Union as a whole, as a bloc, and many European countries uh, will not be able to sustain the military effort that is necessary to, uh, to keep Ukraine free from Russian invasion. And that spells a lot of trouble. This is doom and gloom scenario. Between these two, we have an opportunity for Europe to mobilize itself in production, in purchases of ammunition, whatever equipment, for the Ukrainian victory or at least successful defense over the period during which isolationism in US may come, 
and then it can be tested and hopefully will go away. So it's a, it's a possibility in which Europe will actually reinforce its position on values, on democracy action plan, on securing our democratic process from inter uh, interference. Mm, there will be even more robust action on behalf of individual countries and the Commission and the Parliament to have both Ukraine prevailing as a functioning state on the way to the accession and to wait off the storm in the global affairs because of what uh, potential Trump presidency may bring. And there is also a scenario that we spell out, we should seriously consider, that uh, in the next European elections, we might see a rise of the far right for many different reasons, but one of them is migration question across Europe, the tensions in Germany about that, but also you know, the dissatisfaction with the left government in Spain may bring in the voices of the far right in Europe, and it will coincide with a Trumpist agenda in the US. And they will mutually reinforce themselves, pushing down civic participation, pushing down support for Europe. They will actually, they, this is what we know already, they are opting for some sort of a peace agreement, appeasement essentially of Russia. And they're quite fine with the ideological project of Mr. Putin, uh, which is very transactional, which uh, relays primarily on economic exchange and pushes down civic liberties and freedoms and participation to help whoever is in power um, uh, to prevail. And the danger is quite real. If you look at the results uh, of uh, in opinion polls of the, of the far right across many countries, not just Central Europeans, th th that possibility is real. So what we are, uh, through these scenarios, trying to highlight is that European leaders as they are today need to make preparations for our democracies to use their their advantages that they have, and there are many in civil society specifically, and to, to make sure that the plans they have for European agenda actually reinforce and build up and develop democracy rather than put it aside as a topic and that we simply do not succumb to the pressure of transactionalist approach. There are many people who will advocate simply, let's just focus on interest and economy. I, I think we have to argue strongly from the Polish experience only that economy and democratic values come hand in hand. And um, unless you, you, you really fight for them, you have uh, coming in corruption, state capture and degrading economy, um, which we have seen uh, as a case in Hungary. So Europe ultimately needs to make sure it does not follow the example that will lead not only to deteriorating democratic uh, security, but ultimately um, the economic security as well. And uh, we're arguing for linking these two in the coming priorities of uh, the Commission and the Parliament and all the, all the new legislation that is coming about. And I can speak about this legislation in a moment. Right. Okay. Well, you know, you mentioned that that you know Central Europe's voice in in all these discussions uh, needs to be heard. But it seems to me sometimes Central Europe has a problem in formulating its expect their expectations. And of course, against this context, we have Viktor Orban with his sort of uh, um, uh, Eurosceptic and, and sort of illiberal message, which is beginning to look a little stale, to be honest. 
uh, by now. And then we have this uh, huge change in Poland. And I think the significance of that change is still uh, eluding a lot of commentators because they just don't grasp the scale of what has happened um, in Poland and its possible uh, internal and, and international ramifications. So how do you see the dynamic of Central Europe in this debate following the Polish election and given that Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban is facing a difficult election this time uh, in, in, in European uh, Parliament elections in spring? First of all, Polish elections have shown that the term democratic backsliding is outdated. We did not have in Poland democratic backsliding. We had a deliberate process to dismantle democracy, and it has been much more successful in Hungary. We will uh, now in Poland have an experiment in building democracy back based on a genuine support for both pro-European position and uh, democratic substance, which comes with how people participate, how uh, they also share uh, decision-making or they're heard in the process. It is going to be a big test that fortunately comes along a lot of what was, um, let's say, if not designed, that I'd identified on the European level. I agree with you that uh, there is a bit of a surprise uh, from member states and the commission even that the Poland actually made it. It was not being envisaged and the, 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 the outcome which will result by December in having a new government in Poland led by the pro-democratic forces uh, is something that people in Europe are only starting to adapt to and to seek some new opportunities. One of them, of course, is the voice on uh, Europe's future. Poland needs to take a position in the coming debate. Uh, it has not been taking a position. Internally, we know that PIS, uh, that the party that has the biggest number of MPs seats in the parliament, uh, but will be in the opposition very soon, is a party that builds a message against European Union. They have hardened their position after elections in October, and they will continue the so-called sovereignist line to undermine European project overall. And that is on unprecedented level. But the government has a fresh start, big promise, and it will be watched closely how it is building back democracy align uh, or along with, uh, with the message of becoming a part of European decision-making. For Poland, it will mean primarily getting a uh, rule of law right, but it will also be adjusting with the reforms to the ongoing process of EU legislation, one of which is the new Media Freedom Act that is going to be adopted probably by December and that actually is to secure public space, public media, from political interference, state capture, disinformation, uh, and protection of uh, journalistic integrity from surveillance. All of these topics are very prominent in, 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 in the Polish debate already. And the government in Poland will have this short window of opportunity to explain how you can not only protect public sphere and public TV and public broadcasting, 
but also restore it once it was captured. Um, this is where this element of internal reforms in Poland and making European legislation uh, relevant in a broader scale as an example for the others will come into the picture. Um, there will be a lot of backlash, I expect, from the far right in Poland, but also maybe in Slovakia or in Hungary. They will try to attack Poland for you know, politicizing the process, which you have to agree will happen because uh, there will be political decisions about restoring plurality. And Poland will um, be the political voice, kind of leadership voice on, on, on how to uh, introduce such changes uh, and uh, still stay on course of European integration. Uh, another and much bigger issue will be Polish voice in the future of uh, uh, integration of uh, new member states. Uh, we have been always an advocate of that. Uh, but over the past eight years, we weren't really talking about it under the government um, that we have had. This voice is much expected and Poland's practical approach to making it not uh, a bureaucratic process dependent on some treaty changes that will basically sidetrack all the process, but it will emphasize the need for political achievements and political will between the leaders, between you know Warsaw, Paris, Berlin, but also... Rome or, or Madrid and many others, um, will restore Polish position it used to have um, in the European debate. I think it will be much welcome and Poland will have this short uh, window of opportunity to not only build on what used to be our uh, main European platform, which was the Visegrad and the Weimar Triangle between France and Germany, it will have to adapt to a very new circumstance in which we have Nordic partners very much interested in uh, the enlargement as well under the conditions that need to be made, uh, but also Spaniards and Italians who are looking for opportunities of how to talk about Europe with France and Germany that kept it a little bit close to their chests and got stuck in in, in how to how to lead forward. So um, so the voices on democratic integrity, the voices on being uh, also a country with good economy, relatively well performing, and maybe even getting better with the EU funds that will start flowing eventually, and a country that is advocate for enlargement will be very uh, very much welcome and heard, and not the easiest perhaps for many partners, but um, the, the voice that will matter and wait in the European debate, and I believe in, to a large extent also in transatlantic uh, relations. And how do you view the fact that, you know, on paper at least, or ideologically, if you will, it seems that finally uh, Poland's long-standing position on enlargement, bringing Ukraine in, for example, resonates much more strongly in other European capitals, including Berlin and Paris. I mean, it is Berlin and Paris which are now declaring that uh, accepting Ukraine is not just an economic uh, expansion or, or even not in terms of prosperity, but they're defining it as a security, strategic, strategic security issue. So, so Poland wasn't that lucky when it joined the EU. It was much more transactional back then. But now it seems Poland, if you if you take law and justice, you park them for a moment. But if you if you if you if you 
take a long-term view of Poland's perceptions on enlargement and Ukraine, it seems that France and Germany are finally aligned with Poland's view. So what, what, what does it mean? Is it, is it a done deal or there will be new issues that can sort of stop the process or hijack the process? I think we have really aligned over time and uh, France has uh, demonstrated an increased awareness of uh, Eastern European neighbors uh, and even member states in the Eastern part of the European Union that hasn't been uh, so, so important in the political debates in, in, in the past. This is a constructive, positive development. At the same time, we know that from the side of Berlin, uh, there is much more expectation, especially uh, when it comes to delivering the uh, the potential that Germany has in in support of Ukraine in the most uh, you know in in, in the imminent uh, challenge, which is which is the war, and uh, quite obviously Germany is also capable of making uh, the plan of reconstruction of Ukraine a good jumping pot for both German and Central European economy. It seems that on the pragmatic transactional side, the lessons have been learned. But the big challenge here is what can we do about making our democracies work and deliver for, for because simply of the experience of the past years and what can be done in the process of enlargement. Now, the proposals that Berlin and, uh, and Paris have had has very little to do with democratic performance and making our democracy secure. They have much more to do with functionality, decision-making kind of order of institutional nature, which probably does not resonate too much in Poland. And the experience shows that it much more depends, the democratic security depends on the will of people's strength of society, which not, needs to be underpinned by, by good uh, uh, regulations and decentralization, the, the framework that is hard to dismantle even by, by the illiberal guides. In the process of enlarging Ukraine, um, Poland will be the voice and should be the voice, in my opinion, for, for making uh, the reforms necessary for democratic processes to work on the most basic levels. Like people would not feel that there is corruption that prevents them from taking investment risks, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, new entrepreneurial projects, mm. which uh, we see are already booming. There is a lot of investment in the war-torn Ukraine already. How to secure that and how to make Ukraine be part of uh, a stronger Europe altogether in terms of performing, you know, economically and being fair to its citizens who may want to interact with Ukraine, this is the main challenge. The institutional order in the EU, I think it's just secondary. We have had much bigger country before in the EU, Great Britain. Uh, we may have Ukraine, fine. It's an order of um, political negotiation without treaty change for how many, uh, how, uh, what sort of portfolios commissioners could have. It's not really about making immediately big steps on uh, uh, you know, the foreign, uh, foreign, uh, uh, and security strategy. That step probably will need to be discussed, but in due time, uh, and, and not immediately. Uh, but meanwhile, the focus and, and the con main contribution should be to make Ukraine survive, mm -hmm. make it more democratically along the reforms that they are making and keep support of Europe, uh, for such a more pragmatic 
kind of down to earth perspective rather than this big structural change that that others in in Europe uh, tend to think about Poland will bring this practical view uh, of of do what works uh, rather than design a new uh, concept uh, approach I think and it will be welcome in many countries it's a good point Wojciech. I mean it, it didn't occur to me before but but actually what you're saying is that you know okay these institutional uh, reforms they may be needed they may be helpful they may be even required but they're they're not the immediate goal I mean the negotiations with Ukraine uh, the will will take quite a long time so let's sort out the the basics and the the practicalities as you said and then we can see if if we need the institutional reform to what extent we need it and 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 how we stage the process for example so you're right this may even uh, be a question uh, for 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 the new commission and for the new european parliament so so not until after you know 2025. True. And uh, exactly. This is a bigger discussion to have, longer process, and it will require a different political setup. We will need to change the mindset of Hungary. And whether this is still with Viktor Orban or there will be another leadership in, in Hungary, it the reality today is that we're not having enlarging, we don't have an enlarged Europe uh, with uh, such a position that Budapest takes. Meanwhile, the practicali uh, practicalities of, um, of the upcoming strategic agenda of EU, which will drive the next commission, should be, in that's what we advocate also in the report, reinforcing uh, the, uh, the ways in which our interests and values are aligned. We have very big uh, challenge for our economies in terms of who do we trade? Who, who does Europe trade with globally? Uh, are we going to trade and how are we building up relationship and aligning uh, with countries that can deliver us necessary raw materials for the green transition that they don't sell things to China to, that eventually will make Europe more dependent, but uh, we enable such countries like Namibia or Ukraine to build up their economy, align with values, and be indispensable element of a larger um, democratic uh, sphere in global uh, order. Another example is how do we tackle with surveillance? Um, it's been a pressing issue in Poland when it comes to journalistic work. Uh, also, um, in, we know that surveillance has been used against entrepreneurs um, on a global scale, but also locally to steal secrets. Basically, industrial espionage is uh, quite prevalent. Europe needs to act uh, delivering uh, on cybersecurity and privacy in both dimensions, protecting our interests, fundamentally intellectual property, and at the same time, not allow uh, for infringements of privacy and um, you know freedom of people people in, in their uh, individual private uh, civil society activity. There are many things that the commission, the next commission needs to focus on. It's hard to have such a negotiated position as a common position so far within Europe, yeah, but there is time, and this is a report that comes very timely to focus on the next strategic agenda that will be voted and decided by June next year. And until then, we can shape it. Uh, I have to tell you that I am stunned that in the Granada Declaration, uh, 
Um, we start, and there are many of these important things enumerated, but the word democracy is mentioned only once and only in relationship to promoting democracy elsewhere. It does not mention how democracy is the intrinsic part of, of the economic performance, economic security at home in European countries and in the Union overall. And I think this is and it should be the voice of Central Europe. It will definitely be the voice of, of Poland, should be, and I hope it will be. Um, and it, I think we have some allies in the Baltic states who will say very similar things in Czech Republic, most probably. And uh, I think to a large extent, we can seek those allies also in Romania. We will see uh, to what extent it will be influential also for other partners in Central Europe. Great. Well, thank you, Wojciech. That, that was very insightful. And uh, we recommend to all of you to, to go to our website and uh, download our report. You can also engage in public discussions that we are organizing. We started this week in Brussels. We're then in Bratislava, Budapest, uh, Warsaw and Prague. Uh, over the course of November and December, there will be also more discussions online, talks and uh, journalistic material. Basically, we're animating this debate and it's the first year of the project sponsored by European Commission funding uh, exactly to defend and to promote European values. Uh, the so-called serve mechanism. And it's one of these examples in which Europe has demonstrated it can innovate. Uh, it can innovate new avenues to support democracy, like uh, direct funding for civil society organizations. It's also an area we're going to explore more, given that the support for civil society will actually be much needed in a number of countries. And Poland was another example that uh, civil society support actually pays off for democratic change. Thank you, Wojciech. Thank you very much.